2016. Ultimatum is 2007? Yeah, dog. That was the summer of trilogies. That year was Spider-Man 3, Shrek 3, Pirates of the Caribbean 3, Ocean's <laughs> 13, The Bourne Ultimatum, um, and then there was like good movies like Ratatouille, uh, but it was a it was a oh. weird fucking summer at the movies. <laughs> it was good if you were a fan of five or six major franchises, but otherwise, I'm fucking. I did not. Treadstone was USA just for the so it was probably yeah. You know, that sounds like USA because they do a lot of those super spy. Yeah, Burn Notice, White Collar, Royal. They did Pains. Shooter. They did it Shooter seemed, as yeah. a show. So it seems like actually a pretty good fit for uh, the USA Network if you're doing kind of like isolated spy adventures. That seems like a pretty good fit. I mean, if you like that kind of stuff, USA is full like white collar. It's, I, full of- I refer to it as, and I mean this with no derision, that is hotel room TV. You pop yeah. in on a random so ass episode. You got an hour to kill before like your reservation or whatever. There's an episode of Royal Pains or White Collar on you can park it right there and watch a full episode or leave halfway through and be perfectly satisfied. Yeah, and I mean yeah. that as a compliment. It's perfectly palatable, non-attention-demanding television. You don't it's, binge oh, White cool. Collar. You tune in no. to White Collar. And I'm like, right. and that is perfectly satisfactory. I They are the television equivalents of the movie Now You See Me, uh, which is my go-to... <laughs> My go-to hotel room movie, because it is always on, you can kind of watch any scene, and it'll be, like, perfectly fine. It, yeah. They'll do some, like, weird magic shit. Um, I am, I, it's, my, I, it's got a great cast, too, man. An excellent cast, so you're like, oh, I don't really like this movie, but I'm, like, getting to watch Woody, getting to watch Isle of Fisher. Ruffalo Buffalo and Ruffalo, Isle of Fisher. Eisenberg. Morgan uh, Freeman. Morgan Fucking Freeman. Morgan Freeman. <laughs> Daniel Radcliffe in the sequel. Like I haven't seen the sequel, but they missed an opportunity to call it Now You Don't. They also, absolutely they did. They also snuck Michael Caine into Now You See Me, which mm-hmm. leads me to believe that the goal of Now You See Me was to trick everyone into thinking it was a Christopher Nolan movie. Yeah, they were like, it's, oh, it's, a, it's, a, it's like The Prestige. <laughs> Right. Like, it's exactly like The Prestige or a hundred Christopher Nolan movies that have both Morgan Freeman and Michael Caine in it. And then, yeah, you you trick them with a little Prestige, a little Batman. And I'm sure uh, if we find every, like, poster or ad for Now You See Me, they will find some way to mention The Dark Knight. I just, I from, like, sure. from, from the studio that brought for you sure. The Dark Knight. Yeah. From two <laughs> yeah. guys that saw the dark guy <laughs> i've never thought about spending time on imdb digging through dops but i'm gonna do that now because Dude, it's great i love it's it i mean wild. <laughs> so like the dop for sorry cinematographer director of photography for yeah, they're Jason interchangeable Ford, and even most are. people don't know uh even most cinematographers are not sure what the exact difference is which yeah sure uh the cinematographer for jason Bourne. Did the Outlaw King, which is wildly different, but I now realize both of those movies are actually shot pretty well. Yeah. It also did uh, Captain Phillips. Cool, cool guy. And the Hurt Locker. So like, mm. dude, that really has a style. Those are well shot movies as well. Yeah. Those are the Wind very that Shakes good. the Barley definitely Hell a yeah, style. Dog. Solid. But then like, 
the guy who was the director of photography for The Born Legacy, which, eh, all right, also did Rogue Nation. Cool. And Nightcrawler, and There Will Be Blood, which, okay. like, damn. what the fuck? Damn, damn, those are some good movies to have those on your res. good movies. And here damn. at Vice, so he did oh. Born Legacy. Oh, shit, so he did The Town, Great very film. good. Ghost Protocol, also very good. Born Legacy, also bit good. of a duck egg. Nightcrawler, Inherent Vice, Rogue Nation. Great films, great films. Nightcrawler and Inherent Vice, same year. Same calendar year. Same year, yeah. Damn, guy was busy. Um, And then Velvet Buzzsaw, he likes working with with, uh, people uh, who like directing Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, uh, well, the... The the actor who cannot escape this podcast's conversation. Yeah, uh, and I, Jake, you and I, we've we've buried the beef, we've buried the hatchet. Um, Jake... (laughs) Velvet Buzzsaw and Nightcrawler have the same director. They are both uh, Dan Gilroy joints, or Tony Gilroy. One is a screenwriter, the other is a director. They related. Yeah, they are brothers, I believe. So let me... Uh, so they're obviously... Oh, great, we're talking about cinematographers. This is one of my favorite uh, things to do. So there are the legends, right? You have your Gordon Willis's who shot yeah. most of Coppola's movies, like the Godfather movies, which are like the two best shot movies of all time. Yeah. Apocalypse Now, he shot, again, forgive me the name mentioned, but he shot some really beautiful Woody Allen movies. Again, illegal <laughs> to even mention his name, but Gordon Willis did good work on those movies. Yeah. You have your Roger Deakins, who we were already talking about, who started all this with his incredible work on the entire Coen Brothers catalog, Blade Runner 2049, maybe the best guy to ever point a camera at stuff. Like, maybe the number one guy to ever point a camera at stuff. But I would like to introduce you to a little guy. This guy's name is Dean Cundy. Uh, great name, right? <laughs> no, but yes. <laughs> you, you've, you've never heard this guy's name before, I'm guessing. Hang on, I'm going to look up C-U-N-D-Y. Uh, C-U-N-D-E-Y. D-E-Y, yes. Um, let me, let me, let me just introduce you to some of the movies that this fucking guy, uh, has operated the camera on. Escape from New Jeez. York, The Thing, Romancing the Stone, Back to the Future, Big Trouble in Little China, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Back to the Futures 2 and 3, Hook, Jurassic fucking Park, The Flintstones, Apollo 13, Casper, The Parent Trap... <laughs> What like Looney Tunes back in action? Scooby Doo. This fucking guy. Can you imagine being responsible for the way all of these things look and being able to walk in public and no one know who the fuck you are? You have never heard his name before, but he has shot at least five of your favorite movies of all time. (laughs) Whoever you are, this guy is a legend. But this like, list is fucking bananas. It's insane. The thing, I mean, the, the thing? thing. One of like my favorite horror movie of all time, Apollo thirteen. So he, so he was the guy who was working with Ron Howard to coordinate them how they shot that movie, which is they would fly a big plane into a the air in a parabola and capture Tom Hanks in the zero g space provided by that flight. Um, yeah. that guy, Jurassic fucking Park, who framed Roger Rabbit, the best integration of live action and animation, including CGI of all time. And he shot that. So like when they're doing crazy light moves with all these specific like robot rigs that are built for just like one shot of the movie, 
That's Dean fucking Cundy. And he's still shooting stuff. He's got four projects in post-production. So he's already shot four more movies. You know, recently, the, oh, the list has been looking a little bit more dire, I am afraid. You know, it's it's not Slamajama, Home Again. These are not up to where he once was. But, <laughs> no, but, but that's okay. To, for anyone to have this guy's 80s and early 90s career, we could Man. only dream. What about this desk for a time desk? Exactly. So I could go back and be an, any <laughs> if any actor or any director had been behind all of those movies, they would be the most acclaimed person in the history of cinema. We yeah. would retire their jersey into the rafters. <laughs> you can no longer name your child this. Dean Cundy. <laughs> Dean Cundy is no more. Uh, pour one out, <sighs> folks. Folks in the advanced community studies audience, pour one out for Dean Cundy because he was your VHS collection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, last one because I had to look it up because Dune, Dune is coming. Dune is coming. Is coming. <laughs> the cinematographer from Dune, not uh, not un untalented. Oh he's yeah, got, Denny Villeneuve got, knows how to hire a damn cinematographer. Yeah. Yeah, so he's got Greg or Greg, how you want to pronounce it? Greg Frazier. Um, he's he's actually director of photography for the Batman movie that's coming, which is Doom and then Batman. That movie's gonna be fucking beautiful. He yeah, did this... three episodes of Mandalorian, Vice, Damn, Damn. Rogue One, Damn. Zero Dark Thirty, The Gambler, Foxcatcher. I don't, and then even... Snow White and the Huntsman. <laughs> Which, Again, like, we cannot escape pretty, from... But that movie was dumb. <laughs> yeah, um, that movie was dumb. So I don't even... I don't like most of the projects on this guy's resume, but undoubtedly, they are incredibly well shot. Like, yeah. they are yeah. they are movies I do not love that are uh, killing them softly. Like, mm -hmm. the best-looking movies <laughs> you've ever seen. I love it. This is, of course, Advanced Community Studies, the podcast, where we watch Community one or two episodes at a time. This is a big one, folks. I am, of course, uh, one of your hosts, TV's Kevin Lanigan, and I'm really curious about wiener dogs. I want to know if they're born that way or if they start out normal and then get wiener. <laughs> and I am the daddy host, a new title I am glad to have. Daddy host. Um, Oh, when I tried to come up with other names, people wanted to say nice try, Stephen Fry, but they didn't. <laughs> Stephen Fry! <laughs> Have you ever shown up late to a puppy parade? Because it is pointless. Pointless. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is not a Troy episode, but Troy has some bangers. Troy can Troy come does. in. Troy is an assassin. You give Troy five lines and he'll still manage to be the funniest person in a given episode of Community. Yep. This episode, I mean, we're going to talk about it rapturously. We gave it its own episode. Um, we made Messianic Myths its own episode so we could give this its own episode. What a remarkable piece of work on everyone's part, particularly the writing, but my God, is is every uh, piece of this episode firing on all cylinders. Uh, Jace fans in the audience, don't worry. They'll be back. They just had something that came up at the last minute uh, and we had a show to make. They'll be back. <laughs> We did not. And uh, we had a show to make. We had a show. The show must go on. Yes, I love it. Uh, <laughs> so, 
a little bit of uh, a little social media catch up because we do that uh, when there's been something in the social media space. Uh, yesterday, uh, as of this recording, I took to Twitter and I put up a uh, give me uh, anything about community and I will give you my hot take. And most of you were incredibly lovely and we all got to share like our funny opinions and most of you were, were dope. And like at the end of the day, this is a silly show we all like uh, where they build blanket forts. So like, let's not. Uh, lose any friendships let's not let's not get too obsessed with any element of it um i got to defend britta perry which is one of my favorite things to do um i got to anger shippers which is another thing uh that apparently i enjoy doing um and but last i got to share my grand unifying uh, thesis of community which was which was nice i don't know if i've i've shared that i feel like i must have been on this podcast at some point Maybe the my my grand unifying theory is that this show is Jeff's story told from Abed's perspective. Huh. I don't know if you've said that in as many words, but I feel like because of the conversations we have had, you've essentially said it. Right. Does that make sense? Uh, it was good uh, character writing. Uh, whoever wrote me. Uh, that, like, I had a philosophy, it never came out, but everything I said was indicative of that internal philosophy. That, and I don't mean this literally, I don't think Abed, like, literally wrote the television show Community, or this is, like, a fictional version of it that he created, but the show opens on these two characters. The first scene for either of these characters is them together on the quad, Um, and Jeff tells Abed that he sees his value now. And this Mm -hmm. is the moment where Abed decides that Jeff is his guy. That through thick or thin, like, whatever, this is my hero, this is my protagonist. Yeah, it's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to him. Exactly, and we are going to tell the story about this, and I think that makes Abed's just absolute devastation of Jeff at the beginning of season two, like, hit even harder because he's just so beyond frustrated with his own leading man. Um, the show basically ends with Jeff saying goodbye to Abed. Uh, it, I think it all lines up. This is Abed's hmm. brain telling Jeff's story in not sure. so literal a way. Yeah, no, I like it. I like it. I, I would... Oh, I always posited to people who are either new to the show or who are longtime fans that the show very much was about Abed. And I think framing it as being told by Abed is, makes a lot of sense. 100%. Without Abed, this is a very different show. Without Abed's ability to label something a bottle episode, to imagine Chicken Fingers as a mafia movie, without his ability to do that, this ends up being a very funny but very, like, normal, uh, in quotes, uh, community college television show. Uh, is he also the one with the most fourth wall conversation? Fourth wall dialogue? Oh, 100%. He's always talking about, like, the tropes of his own TV yeah. show, seasons, characters, arcs, etc. I mean, even narration, right? Like, Chicken Fingers is narrated by him as if he's talking to us. He is telling the story to the Dean, right? And so he lays it out in this way. Right. Uh, and the only other character that kind of keeps up with Abed is Jeff. Jeff is the one who gets all of Abed's references. Jeff and Abed have seen the same TV and movies. I think Jeff is just as obsessed with culture as Abed, 
but he is more ashamed of it. So he doesn't bring it up all the time. He's the guy that goes and sees all the movies, right? Or like knows the movies to have a conversation with anybody about them. But Abed studies them. He's nose to the ground, just like, or ear to the ground, nose to the grindstone, just learning all of it so he can like internalize it and then use it in any situation. And Jeff's like, oh yeah, I saw Animal House. Because Jeff is like at least 10 years older than Abed, but they share the same references. They they have a common right. language. And I think all of the members of the study group are a little lonely, but Jeff and Abed feel particularly lonely. Like when Jeff leaves the study room every day, he's not going out to a bar and picking up a chick. He does that sometimes, but he's probably just going home and drinking and what else is there to do? But watch, watch movies TV. and TV. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I think they share this common language. And anyway, that has been, it's based loosely off of how, again, forgive the name drop, but how Joss Whedon talks about Firefly and Serenity. That Wait, fire... is Joss a stinky boy? He's a stinky boy. Uh, let's not oh, get no. into it on the no, show. No, we don't have to. I, I'm sorry. I just learned this. Just for your own edification. Um, yeah. Firefly, uh, he says, is... River's story told from Mal's point of view, and Serenity the movie is Mal's story told from River's point of view. Um, And I think that's a very interesting way to look at these forms of storytelling. And uh, it doesn't apply to literally everything. I don't have the same thing for The Office or Parks and Rec or Scrubs or anything like that. But sometimes if it really lines up, um, I think there's there's something there. I think there's something to it. For sure, for sure, for sure. But, But anyway... We are here to talk about one very specific, very good, very Mm -hmm. special episode of Community. This is Cooperative Calligraphy. Calligraphy, yes. Annie's pen is lost. Uh, This is season two, episode eight, directed by Joe Russo, written by Megan Gans. So the A-team is working on this fucking episode. Kev, I have to correct you. It's not about Annie's pen. It's about a principle. It's about a principle. Yes. I thought it was a principle. And <laughs> I I think every, you know, all the performances of this episode are great. Um, and a phenomenal work done by the editing team, like making sure that we understand everything, that all the beats land, and fitting so much information into 21 minutes of TV. But I really have to give special credit to Megan Gaines for writing this episode. Because not only is this an incredibly conceptual episode that is essentially set around one table, you have specific beats and arcs for every individual member of the study group. You have setups and callbacks for epi- for for lines that happen in this episode and you still manage to find time to advance Shirley's pregnancy arc and the Jeff and Britta secret sex arc. You manage to find time in this episode to so push much both of those forward. It's unbelievable. I don't think I caught the Jeff and Britta secret sex. <gasps> Sorry. The miso in the bottom of my ramen bowl, a spicy miso. <laughs> you shot right um, now. Oh, yeah. Breathing's interesting. Um, <clears throat> one it's of when you can the... really, like, taste your breath. You know, when you eat something mm-hmm. really hot or spicy mm-hmm. and you, like, huh, air has a taste now. <laughs> every every breath tastes like something. Interesting. Um, <laughs> I've probably watched this episode ten times, but I don't. I, I think maybe it's because I've always, you know, after the first couple, you start to zone out. So your attention span is lower. 
sure. which I think is why shows like this or The Office or Parks and Rec are so good because they get you so comfortable that you can then watch them when you're doing other things. And when you're doing other things, you're prone to realize things you didn't realize because you're focused at different spots. Anyway, that's just my long form theory about <laughs> why these shows are super good. Yeah, media but, consumption. Um, because like when you're used to the plot, then you can suddenly notice... Uh, shots or themes that you like weren't able exactly. to pick up on because you were trying exactly. to literally figure out what was happening. Exactly, and that happened this last time I watched this because when when Britta comments on what Jeff's underwear usually look like, I the didn't think anything of it. Juice numbers. I didn't think anything of it, and then this time I realized that Abed literally goes usually because he caught like, wait, what? Why do you know that? Um, and it's just a single line, and he's not even centered in the frame. He's like. You might only see half of his face for part of this, right? Jeff but like, moves on original, like immediately, you know. Yeah, right away, right away, and you move right past it. But yeah, you're right. This episode has a has a, a lot that it wants to work in, and it does it really well. It does it well enough that it doesn't make you feel like it really wanted to work it in. It just feels organic. Yeah, it it works so well. I just I know that these are the constraints of broadcast television. I wish they had like two more minutes to like let us sit for a second because this episode is go 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 they don't even have time to properly explain what a bottle episode is like there is not time for abed to go a bottle episode is when all the characters are contained to one space yeah and i think for me certainly but i imagine for many many people this is their introduction to that term and every show has bottle episodes it is a cost saving measure watch any of your favorite shows and look around at like hmm Oh, I see we're really sticking to the the locations we've already been to before in this yeah. one. Most episodes of Cheers are bottle episodes. They do not leave uh, the, the, uh, the bar. The bar. Yeah. And also there are many beer bottles. Um, I'm sorry. I'm so stupid. sorry. That's stupid. stupid. <laughs> you apologized immediately, so it's okay. You understood I... the crime you're committing. I had Does that make it to worse? say it, that doesn't mean that I don't feel shame. I had to okay. be said. But it sure. doesn't mean that I don't feel bad about it. Once does not simply leave fruit on the table, no matter how low-hanging it may be. Exactly. I'm sorry. If there's fruit, I got a bite. That's just... Yeah, that's the, exactly. I've been thrown out of exactly. many grocery stores. Uh, also because I refuse to wear a mask for some reason. <laughs> you could never deprive the world the portion of your face that they would be missing. That the strap would cover! Oh, <laughs> uh, what a great bit. Everyone has good bits. Pierce has a couple zingers in this episode. Yeah, his, his Vietnam joke. What did yes. he say? That's People why like t- you were the reason it took us so long to get into Vietnam. To get into <laughs> As if Pierce Hawthorne is of the impression that we should have entered Vietnam sooner. <laughs> we didn't get in there fast enough. We needed to be there for 13 fucking years, but we needed to get there sooner, be there longer. Oh. oh, Pierce, you're a garbage boy. Uh, there are there's a couple of ethnical Browns in this that destroy me, particularly when she says I'm around Jeff's age, and Britta says, "Unless time is linear, I'll make your ass linear." That doesn't, that make, doesn't sense. make any sense. I'll make your ass sense. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I don't care who you are. That's an incredible sure. joke. Time is linear. I'm like, yeah, it's linear. It reminds me of, and we'll get to this one eventually, and when our, when we get to the end tags of uh, the time travel episode, not the time travel episode, the multiple endings episode. What's that called? Quantum Remedial chaos theory. Intermedial chaos theory. Your when dad brain, reminds... man. I tell you, dude. Yeah. 
It reminds me of when at the end of that. Do you or anyone you know suffer from dad brain? (laughs) You may be entitled to compensation. It's literally just vacation. Um, (laughs) uh, That's the one job you don't get a vacation from. Exactly. No paid days off. And and Britta looks at Shirley, who's drinking, and she says, don't you think you've had enough? And she goes, of you. (laughs) Like, (laughs) this is on the same page as that for me. They're both really funny. No matter how many times I rewind it, I chuckle every time. That is way the hell up there. One that is way the hell up there for me. It's in Dungeons and Dragons, I think, uh, where she's talking about Troy and Abed's special little relationship. And they're like, she's, uh, and she's like, yeah, I bet you did. <laughs> yeah, because she has um, Hector the Well Endowed. And she was right, like, that was right. meant to be for Troy. And she goes, I bet it was. <laughs> I bet you did. And incredible. Yvette. Nicole Brown, ladies and gentlemen, Nick, if I yeah. stand up and take a bow, you earned it every episode of this dang show. They could give you anything and you weaved it into fine spun gold. Incredible. It's so good. I love this episode, man. And the fact that like it harkens back to chicken finger episode, which we talked about before this yeah. is very good because spoiler alert, Annie's boobs stole the pen and that's not a euphemism for her dropping it down her shirt. That means that, um, monkey? Yeah. The monkey <laughs> returns. Uh, oh, you know, there are a thousand YouTube videos of every few months. People rediscover that you can see Annie's boobs. Take the pen in a shot before. No, you, you realize hundred percent, hundred percent. My dude, I cannot believe you don't know this. I've thought of, here's the problem. My brain goes, I wonder if you can actually see that and then forgets to look because I don't do it immediately. I go, I'll check after the episode's over. Oh, a hundred percent. No way. I'm looking, dude. I'm it looking. Is, it is when, uh, uh, when Troy says, I want to lick it. Uh, you can see Annie's boobs taking the pen in the background. It's unbelievable that on this fucking show. <laughs> you can see it oh I, my god I can't believe this is the first time you're learning about this I never you can see it and it's the real crystal of the monkey they didn't get a goddamn like hand on a stick you know they. it is a real monkey taking that pen ah oh, I'm so Incredible, happy for you that dude. you know about this <laughs> this is so changing happy. my life right now I'm so happy for you dude uh, wow, this is, yeah, it's unbelievable. I was just more focused on Troy saying, I want to lick it about a puppy, because why? who wouldn't be? Yeah, uh, I have I have the same problem, though, when I'm watching something, is like, okay, this time I'm really going to pay attention to this, and then I just get lost in the storytelling, and I forget, like, what the fuck I'm supposed to pay attention to. Yeah, I was yeah, like, exactly. wait, what was I looking for? Oh, I don't remember. That was a good movie, though. I really loved The Social Network. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. That has happened to me with the social network recently. a couple times. Yeah, where for sure. The, so- the social network is one of those movies where if you're like, it's 11 p.m. and you're like, oh, I kind of just want to like put on something familiar before bed. And you're like, oh, the social network's on Netflix. Like, let me pop that on real fast. And then before you know it, two hours have passed and you have watched the entirety of the social network. Yeah. You're like, I'm going to go to sleep. And you're like, actually, no, I'm not. I'm going to watch the whole damn thing. I did that recently, like last week, two weeks ago in my office. I was skimming through Netflix to look for something because Amanda, my wife, had asked. And I saw a social network and I was like, oh, you know what? No, I was looking up Aaron Sorkin movies or shows 
because I knew that West Wing was on there. I didn't know if any of his other stuff was on there. Steve and it Jobs. said the social network was on there, and I was like, what? Huh? And I just watched Molly's Game. That's what it was. I oh. just watched Molly's Game, which isn't bad. It's not yeah. great. It's, it's not interesting. Bad. It's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. It's 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 autobiographical. Or it's based on real events, which always takes away from the storytelling delivery for me. <laughs> Unless it's done really well. Unlike uh, the social network, I guess. <laughs> oh, fuck off. <laughs> anyway, um, uh-huh. I started that movie at like 11. I was like, I'm going to go to bed early. I'm going to start this until I get tired. And then like it ended and I went, shit. I was like, man, Andrew Garfield's great in this movie. Fuck, this movie's over now. <laughs> uh, it always happens. Yeah, it's uh, that's a that's an incredible movie, and it is a mark of David Fincher as a filmmaker that he maybe even made a movie that is better than The Social Network. But God damn, The Social Network. The Social Network. It's, a, it's just a whole vibe. The whole a, movie is a vibe. Dude. Everything's on the right level. The score is incredible. We all know that. Sorkin is this weird optimist who has this uh, overtension to like bloviate or make his characters like holier than thou. And so you have Fincher like dragging Sorkin back, but you also have Sorkin like pulling Fincher into lively dialogue based films, you know? Um, Everything about that movie is good. It's just, unfortunately for the social network, Zodiac exists and Zodiac is a masterpiece. Zodiac exists. I would argue Seven might be even better on Fincher's list of... The, se- seven is great. I don't want you to hear that horse noise I just made as <laughs> Seven not being great. I I think I like every David Fincher movie. I like them to varying sure. degrees. I know sure, we're supposed yeah. to be talking about uh, a great episode of Community, but whatever. It's all right. It's all right. I even this like Alien 3. This is who we are now. I like Alien 3 quite a bit. Like, it's not great. Oh my god, the prison colony alien? Fuck yeah, yeah, that movie's great. Yeah, that movie kind of rules secretly. Yeah, Um, there's a dog xenomorph in that movie, Kevin. Dog xenomorph? You have, again, just like a a buffet of character actors. Uh, You could do way worse than Alien 3. Or is that yeah. Alien Resurrection? Uh, what'd you say? Is that the one with Michael Wincott in it, or is that Resurrection? No, I think Michael Wincott might be in that one, dog. Mm, Wincott. I'm not sure. Uh, but there's a, an incredible uh, array of character actors in yeah. Alien 3. Fight Club is good, but not for the most reasons that... Not for the reasons that most people that like Fight Club like Fight Club. It's a masterpiece because it hates the people that like Fight Club. <laughs> yeah, it does. It's great. I, okay. I'm glad that you said that because it's so true. <laughs> Fight Club is really good, and unfortunately, uh, Fight Club and anime are two things I cannot admit to liking publicly because I am instantly put on a list. <laughs> if, <laughs> if, if I walk up to you and talk about how good Fight Club is, I am unfortunately put in jail. Uh, but if Fight Club is very good, but again, not for the reasons that most people that like Fight Club think it's good. Um, we call it the <laughs> the Scarface paradox. Sure, sure, right. It's good, but everyone else is going to have a conversation about why they think it's good, and you're going to have a different conversation, and they're going to be lost. Yeah, there are some there are some movies, even good ones, but if someone walks up to you and starts talking about how good American Psycho is, I really have to like stop and gauge why they like American Psycho, and if I should call the police. <laughs> sure, sure, 100%. And or... I've made those arguments before, so... Goodfellas, Goodfellas, Wolf of Wall Street. Like, if if someone comes up to you and just, like, loves those movies, you have to go, like, okay, 
is this person just is are they good at interpreting cinema or should I go to the FBI directly? Like which <laughs> which should happen right now? Did they like it because wish fulfillment or commentary? Right, exactly. Yeah. I once yeah. had before I ever saw Taxi Driver, I had a roommate who said Travis Bickle, the protagonist of Taxi Driver, was the most relatable character in cinematic history. And had I <laughs> had I seen Taxi Driver at that point, I would have packed my bags that day. I would have been, like, been like, oh, no, cool. I'm dropping out this. of the lease. I'm taking whatever fine I need to take. I'm out of here, dude. I can't. Oh, sweet. My credit. I'll nuke it. I gotta go. Ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> like, I'll go to jail, man. I feel safer with them. <laughs> Fuck, man. Oh, shit. Absolutely. The most relatable character in cinema. Is Travis Bickle. But I bet that kid loved Joker. <sighs> Probably. Probably. So what do you think of Joker? This is not related to this show. But did, was Joker for you like, were you like, oh, that movie was all right. Could have been called literally anything else. And he didn't have to put on clown makeup. And it didn't have to take place in Gotham. And it maybe didn't take place in Gotham, but maybe definitely took place in New York. And it probably just definitely like, didn't have just, anything to do with anything Batman, but definitely had Batman in it to sell. And it probably could have been made by about anybody else. No, it's not. It's not for me. Everything about it was like I was watching that and I was like, well, damn, I should be watching like Taxi Driver or King of Comedy right now. Like instead of this movie, this movie <laughs> I should wants... be watching the movie this is d- derived from. So desperately trying to be specifically King of Comedy, even going so far as to cast Robert De Niro as a comedy talk show host, which um, <laughs> I don't know who <laughs> needs to tell you Robert De Niro is not funny. Robert De Niro no. is funny in movies sometimes because of how serious he is. Like yeah. <laughs> to, yeah. cast him as, to cast him as a David Letterman type is very strange. Isn't he in Meet the Family? Meet the But even in Meet the Parents but or Meet the Fockers. Meet the like, Fockers, it's specifically because of his severity that he is funny. Yeah, it's Not specifically because funny, funny because Robert De Niro with a perfectly straight face is saying, I have nipples, Greg. Can you milk me? Like that, that is what is funny about it. What is well, that's good, but it's, it's because it's of his bit. severity. Um, yeah, it's, Not because it's he's good got comedic delivery. Because, like, in the scene where Ben Stiller's foreskin is launched up into a bug zapper and plummets into a pot of fondue that is in Meet the Fockers, Robert De Niro's going, and that's what's funny is because he's doing like De Niro face. That. <laughs> he doesn't like it. It's not because he is a comedic dynamo. <laughs> <sighs> see kev it's okay analyze you this make... analyze that it's fine it's fine yeah it's okay they can make mistakes there's accidents are allowed they just can't make accidents over and over and over again this isn't budget daycare yes this is a budget daycare incredible <laughs> way to good... pivot back i just like one last thing on joker it seems really deep if it was deep to you i do encourage you to watch a real movie just like one time <laughs> <laughs> I do it. I encourage you to watch even one movie that doesn't have Batman in it, and then like, like I don't know, just get some perspective on storytelling, just like real quick. Uh, this episode's subtitle should be "Edges Sharp." Yeah, sorry. I'm. Uh, what can I say? Like you should watch a real, just any 
real just watch a real movie once just watch like a real movie and i think you know there are there are movies about superheroes <laughs> and space wizards that i love that i think are great movies uh iron man 3 thor ragnarok you know like whatever like there are movies that i love but like i do ask you uh, i will die on the hill of iron man 3 and i have a friend that does not like it at all and every time I, it's brought up it's an argument <laughs> iron man 3 is a masterpiece i watch it every christmas uh, Guardians 2 is the best movie in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. There are movies in these franchises that I love, that I love. However, uh, watch like, just like watch like one, just like, you don't, it's not, I'm not, I'm not going to assign you Hiroshima Mona more. You know, I'm not going to make you go watch. <laughs> Graveyard of the Fireflies. Yeah. I'm not going to make you watch Bonfire of the Vanities. I'm not going to make you fucking watch like these movies you're not going to enjoy, but like, just pop on The Graduate, just like one time. And like, it's a good movie. You will like watching The Graduate. Just like, just like watch one thing made before 1980. Just like what, just like one movie made before 1980. Watch Dog Day Afternoon. That movie kicks ass. Just like watch, just like watch it just like one time. Just once. Just like what you like. I like a lot of silly cartoony stuff but just like broaden your palette a little bit that's all i'm saying you know I you're like you to broaden your palette. i love how simultaneously you're like i mean like what you like but also don't like such shit yeah no i love shit like i watch guardians 2 every year that movie makes me cry yeah every single time however uh, you know, watch some other stuff sometimes. You know, have you seen Do the Right Thing? Great movie. Like, check that out sometime. There, that's all I'm saying. That's all. I like what you like, a hundred percent. But just like try, try some stuff. Try some, try some, yeah. try some yeah. cinema with an just with me. a capital C. Just like try it. <laughs> I'm not looking down on you. I fucking love Last Jedi. You know, that's one of my craziest opinions. You just, just like try something else. Uh, anyway, Annie lost her pen. I am <laughs> remarkable. Yes. I am remarkably impressed, and hear me out here, with the way this episode uses its act breaks, its cut to commercial. Because usually they'll end on a good joke or like a poignant sad moment that makes you want to come back. This episode also so smartly uses each of its commercial breaks to reset the table, uh, to cover ground that it would be clunky to cover with dialogue. So... Jeff, when Jeff says, tells Gwenifer to suck it and throws down his phone and we, we cut to commercial, that's great. And when we come back, he and Annie are like taking apart everyone's backpacks, right? And that would be so difficult to cover with dialogue. How did we get to this point? Right. But if it happens between acts, you can so smartly just like move around to those obstacles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's nice because it does like the uh, I don't know like there's a lot of uh, things that happen in this episode which you've said that like would be hard to just like show yeah but the show uh, but the show <laughs> uh, doesn't assume that its viewers wouldn't get it rather it has confidence that its viewers will figure it out and so it's like yo they <laughs> fuck I just remembered the scene where. It, Annie starts undressing, and Troy's like, how can I help? <laughs> Troy's like, how can I help? Uh, Pierce starts, like, excitedly undressing. Um, it's so good. But, it's um, a you really see that. good bit. You see that, and then we cut the commercial a couple of seconds later, and when we come back, uh, after Abed has described it, 
the tables are up, everyone's undressed, and it just resumes almost in media res with Abed being like, now jump and shake enough to dislodge. And you're like, <laughs> oh, we've already gotten there. Cool. We are we are here. And exactly. uh, it does the work for us, and it's it's super nice. We don't have to cover someone taking Pierce's clothes off. Pierce's clothes are already off. Just these little... I mean, everyone knows that the writers on Community are fucking good at writing, but... They're, they also really are smart at knowing what they do not have to write and, yeah. and what needs to be excised. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Speaking of Gwenifer, um, and our listeners can hear me react to this in the guest interview with Alex from Six Seasons and a Podcast uh, that you can hear after we are done uh, with our episode. There is an element to Jeff's date that I had never considered and you can hear me react to it live in that interview when it is suggested to me for the first time Uh oh! but the writers were writing under the impression that Gwenifer was Britta that when Jeff has a catch to date that evening it's Britta and he's not on the phone with anybody his screen is dark he was letting Britta know in the room that they're they're evening plans were off it would explain why britta was so quick to assume what underwear he was wearing he so they've because been hooking she's up been for a while about now it. yes yeah. they've been hooking up they are i don't know how serious these dates are they might just be you know booty calls essentially but like planned booty calls britta is also the other member of the group that want that attempts to leave the most and the quickest Asta la later, and she's uh, making her way out. A, a surprisingly good Brita episode, since we're on the topic. Uh, her her nineteen eighty four monologue. Hmm. Uh, the thought police are forcey warcing you to bend and spread. <laughs> are they gonna? What is it? What do they have? Do they put some? Or do, they, do they find thoughts in your butt in that book? I knew I, I should have read, read that read book. Uh, oh, do sorry. they find thoughts in your butt? I knew I should have oh. read that book. On the topic of people not reading or watching enough different things, can we just all, like, stop using 1984 for everything? Can we not, like, Community, the TV show, which does a few good 1984 riffs, but, like, every day I log on to Twitter.com and someone sees that, like... Oh, boy, it's 1984 Someone was banned life. from Twitter, and I'm like, okay, I get that 1984 was the most recent book you read and that was 10 years ago and it was homework but like not everything is a 1984 which is a fiction book george orwell smart guy not everything is in 150 pages of 1984 See, i'm glad you brought this up kev because it's not I've, the only for the longest book we time, made <laughs> for the longest time i've had this i felt this deep calling um, it hasn't been loud enough to make me actually do it, but I've heard it. And it's to remind people that when your teachers, or you hear anybody, for that matter, say that a lot of science fiction is, quote, prophetic, <laughs> that they are being non-quote hyperbolic, and that it's not exactly prophetic, but a lot of science fiction has informed some changes and, like, we can see some 100%. things because imagination is a powerful thing. But 
That does not mean that if you can't say bigoted bullshit on Twitter that 1984 is coming true. Like, okay, here's something that people, I guess, fail to realize about freedom of speech is that it is not freedom from people telling you to shut the fuck up. And so when someone tells you to shut the fuck up, that is not the works of George Orwell coming to be. That is you saying some dumb shit and people telling you to shut the fuck up. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm feeling very salty. I have one one glass of podcast juice. It's in okay. Me. It's okay. Uh, I feel like may- maybe when Jace is here, I'm on my best behavior. That's all it takes is what man. I'm starting to realize. And when Jace is not here, you're afraid that they're when now fifty yeah, percent of come my after you. Yeah. Uh, of this podcast <laughs> is me, and I have to fill this much time. Sometimes things just come out. This is happening. On top of that. <laughs> You you loosened some of your inhibitions to start. Yeah, with a gl- one glass of yeah. podcast juice. Yes. Yeah, so you were like, let me let me lube this spice up real quick, so yeah. that it can be delivered in a more family friendly pack. Or no, sorry, snack size package. Family, family friendly may not be. Yes. Yeah, I did not. I did not. In fact, dilute the spice. What I did was turn it into curry. Is what what I've done, and now we have a piping hot skillet of curry. Yes, yes. Of the uh, of podcast curry. I mean, this it is did. an unbelievably good fucking episode. I don't know who, for many many people, this is like on the Mount Rushmore of community episodes, and it doesn't like quite hit the top four for me. But my god, this is an episode so good that almost even more so than paintball we can't come back from this one. Like, once you've done cooperative calligraphy, we can't go back and do Jeff and Britta trick Troy into dating Annie. We are beyond the horizon of what this show can be and do, what these characters are capable of, how this might all be a toxic mismatch sandwich. Like, it's... Cooperative calligraphy is, for me, the point of no return for this show. We are beyond the pale at this point. Yeah, we are. We are. The group has had too serious a conversation, a too serious a look into the internal workings of their brains. <laughs> into themselves uh, to... and each other. <laughs> yes. They have, sh- they have literally shaken the dust and mystery from their crooks and nannies. Mm-hmm. Look. Crooks and nannies. Crooks and nannies. uh, Hold on, everyone. uh, TM, TM, TM. uh, Crooks and nannies is a spec script you and I are going to work on uh, about (laughs) robbers trying to break into a daycare or a um, one nanny taking care of like quadruplets. You know, and she has to like, oh, this one needs to be fed. Uh, There's a robber at the back. I got to fend them off. Uh, I got to run back. Yeah, Yeah. Yep, doing it. Crooks and nannies. All right, TM, 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 TM. TM, 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 TM. Okay, I am going to... Such a McElroy thing to do. (laughs) uh, Yeah, I've listened to too many fucking hours of Griffin McElroy to not uh, adopt that into myself. Um, So far, uh, apparently Crooks and Nannies, it is a band, but it is not a movie. So I, like, TM, 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 TM. Homie, we must. (laughs) We must, we must unfortunately write Crooks and Nannies. Here's the thing, though, about Crooks and Nannies, and I'm going to say this now. If we set that shit at Christmas, we can sell this movie. Also, we have potential to be in the among the <laughs> movies that are spoken of when Christmas movies are brought up. When Christmas movies are brought up, 
Um, I Studios are always looking to buy Christmas movies because uh, they need marketing for Christmas. It's the easiest sell in the world. You put out the Christmas movie around Christmas. And then it plays every year on television. Or, like, Netflix pays for it every year. And I think if we set Crooks and Nannies at Christmas, you know, yeah. I, I think there's something there. <laughs> All we have to do is be, not for time of release, but for, like, general demographic all we have to do is be daddy daycare that's all i'm saying like we beat daddy daycare you get a little daddy daycare you get a little home alone baby you got crooks and nannies little school of rock even she teaches the kids to help her yeah exactly homie now we're homie. on it now we're on that tip now we're on that good shit tm tm tm, TM cut TM, this out TM. Uh, i'm gonna cut this out i'm gonna cut this out crooks and nannies tm 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 excellent work <laughs> <laughs> this episode is just so good it inspires me it inspires us to do to do everything uh to make a movie of our own uh Jeruso, it's not as showy as some of his genre episodes or the the paintball episodes or whatever but this is remarkably good direction to make an episode set entirely within the study room save for a puppy parade to make that compelling, to make sure we always know where everyone sits in this three-dimensional space, deceptively tough shit. Deceptively yes. tough shit. Very much, very much. That's all I'll say. And it's, I remember thinking the first couple times watching it, being like, man, this episode takes place in one room. It's just kind of meh. And then, like, as I grew with the show, I remember going back to it frequently because I was like, this whole episode takes place in one room. Oh, my God. It's so good. You know what I mean? Like, it, it changes. And, like, uh, I don't know if anyone yeah. in our audience has tried to write a fucking play. That shit's tough. That's, like, you got to set the whole thing in, like, this one living room? How the hell am I supposed to do that? Yeah, exactly. It's very good. And the shots are creative enough but smart enough to uh, – creative and smart enough to, sorry, am, am – imply a lot of it's it's very didactic the the shooting of this episode is very didactic it tells you a lot just based on how you're looking at the room each time 100 percent. as i said every yeah. level of this episode is is operating at full strength every character gets at least a f few good jokes we get the start of our longtime runner of uh, saying a sentence ending in a celebrity name that rhymes a, a great bit we love the bit i mean my God, what a what a piece of TV that they've put together. I know I've said it a hundred times, but I just can't get over it. It's great. This show, consistently, in its first two seasons, reminds you that you and everyone else should have been watching it when it was on TV. 100%. Well, I did. But that's okay. Well, I did. Um, it doesn't make me... <laughs> no, I wasn't specifically talking to you. I Kev. understand like, what I'm saying. I, <laughs> I understand. I, I, again, being a day one watcher does not make me a better or a better fan or whatever... But it is like a badge of honor that I hold for myself. I'm like, ah, a day one adopter of community. I wear that badge proudly. Chip. We rank uh, episodes and end tags here on this dang podcast. Uh, the end tag we are ranking this week is the Puppy Parade. The Puppy Parade. Uh, it's a good man. one. It's not a classic Troy and Abed, but it's funny. There's a, some good jokes. It is funny. Uh, better than Spaceships. Better than spaceships. I was about to ask, is anything in this uh, end tag better than slut? I will say that I laugh more in this end tag, more consistently, because there's a few jokes instead of one. But are the few jokes, do they add up to enough of the gut chuckle I get when they say slut? When I Troy yells slut. I would say yes. 
the dean booing a puppy and a kitten. Boo! Very funny. <laughs> Very funny. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. Uh, da, 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 da. So I think, mm, is it funnier? Is it better than when they filmed Kick Puncher? Our number 10. I don't think so. I don't think no, it's going to No, it's not funnier puncher. than that. Yeah. It's not better than Oh Christmas, Troy. No, no, it's not. In the uh, Troy and I in the morning with Starburns. That's the turtle. That's Garrett saying it's still sunny, which is very funny. Very good. Uh, very good. So after. Yes, New 13. Yeah, New 13. Puppy Parade. Yeah. I like it. Now to the big dog. To cooperative calligraphy. Uh, it is. It's not quite as good as Modern Warfare for me. I don't think it no. quite gets up there, but anything after that, I think we can have a conversation. I think that physical education still... It's really good. Edges it out because it's so good. It's so good. Okay. But comparative religion and Jeff's argument, Brownie, is also very really good. good. I don't I don't want to... And I love season two. I think it's like the, my favorite season of television, as I've said before. I don't just want to throw out the best episodes of season one unless we mean it. Unless we're right. like, we're sure. Because uh, we don't get those back. Once they move down the list, like they're gone. Is this episode better than contemporary American poultry? Is this going to crack the top five? Um, I think Yes. Because I was going to say it's better than epidemiology. Yeah, I think so, too. I think it's our new four. New four. And, I'm not ready yeah. to get rid of the first Christmas episode yet. I love... No, man, that episode's so fucking good, there, dude. There are... Comparative religion will not stay in the top five forever. I don't even think it'll make it out of season two in the top five. I can't imagine. Probably top ten, but not. I just, I'm not. The problem is we have two episodes coming up that we know for sure are going to end up in the top five. Right. Like and the, it's going to throw everything that we're fighting so hard about right now next week, straight out the window. Next week we are talking about conspiracy theories and my favorite episode of the show of all time, Mixology Certification. So, like, I, the top five is going to look real different next week. Okay, <laughs> new number four. I feel very comfortable with that. S1, yeah. E8, Cooperative Calligraphy. Hold on. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just, I'm discovering shit tonight. I didn't know Jay Chandraskar, Chan, Chandra, Chandrasekar. Shekar. I didn't know that he directed an episode of this show. <laughs> he directed a few, Jay Chandrasekar. He, um... Or no, maybe it's just one or two. But then he appears on the show. I believe uh, he is Gupta Gupti Gupta. <laughs> he directed nine episodes. Jay Chandrasekhar, because he also did First yeah. First Chang Dynasty, uh, which is the the heist episode. Very good episode. Advanced documentary filmmaking. Okay, we're not gonna, you know it's season four. You know we're not gonna we're not gonna hold that against him. Direct. Basic RV repair and palmistry. What a wild ba fucking episode. <laughs> Basement, basic email security. Okay, so he directed an episode he's in. He he cast himself as Gupta Gupta yeah. Gupta. Uh, he did basic story. So he becomes, when the Russos are basically gone, Jay, along with Tristram Shapiro, Rob Schraub, uh, come in and really start making it happen. 
you know, they become the new regulars. Sure. And you could do a yeah. lot fucking worse than Jay Shanker Jagar and Tristan Shapiro. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Super Troopers 3, Winter Soldiers. Oh, not even trying to I mean, be you know, good joke. Sneaky about it. I got to, <laughs> you know, I got nope. to give it up for the bit. <laughs> Commitment to the bit. That is, you know, they're really they're really laying it in. I mean, it's going to age like fucking dinosaur bones, as we've said many before. But you know, it's if you're making the third Super Troopers movie, I think you are really you're just trying to hone in on the core Super Troopers audience, and then you get back out. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You're you're. It's literally a run to a convenience store at that point. Yeah. Just I gotta grab a thing. I gotta grab one gotta thing. Go. I'm not trying to bring in new Super Troopers audience. Like the core audience of Super Troopers three are people that have accidentally watched it five times on Comedy Central, just like in bits and starts throughout its run on Comedy Central. Yeah, and again, for sure. don't mean that derisively. You get it's it's the Jay and Silent Bob reboot of the Super Troopers uh, franchise. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so let's exactly. Yeah, we've been uh, uh, farting around over here quite a bit. Uh, let's let's segue into plug 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 plugs. Uh, Caleb, what do you got, and what do you want the people to know about? Oh uh, well, you know I like video games and I play those. So if you're interested in anything that I do outside of this show, uh, follow me at Lubwub on Twitter and the website uh, nerdybits.com. Um, Nerdybits all over the place. Uh, outside of that, outside of just the stuff I'm doing. The world is still going through some shit. We should be a little more reticent to go outside and enjoy time with friends than I think we're being. So, you know, I've got old family. A lot of people have old family. Most people, honestly, have old family older than them. Um, you should care about them and yourself. So, Yeah. Uh, let's not forget uh, that this is uh, not the second wave. It is still the first wave. The first wave <laughs> is still in progress. Please. And if we and if we can't slow down the first wave, the second wave isn't going to be reinforcements. It's going to be an occupying force. Uh huh. Uh huh. It'll we be. be uh, yeah. It's like uh, we didn't realize we were fighting multiple man, and when you hit him, he duplicates. Um, I would yes. like to encourage my fellow <laughs> New Yorkers, guys. We were doing so good for like three or four months, and now I see all of you eating outside at restaurants, and I just. I think, like, maybe... I know we all want to support local business. Uh, call them, order takeout, just for, like, another month so that we can, like, kill this thing dead. You know? So we can, like, be sure it's dead before, like, we shoot Michael Myers one time, turn around to celebrate, and then he gets up and grabs us again. We have to make sure that we have put his head underneath the boat motor and turned it on. Yes. Uh, so let's let's just all uh, be certain. Yes, I'm uh, TV's Kevin Lanigan on all of the things, uh, including Patreon. Uh, this month's Patreon donings, uh, uh, sorry, Patreon earnings went to the Auntie Project, uh, which benefits uh, Indigenous women uh, at the behest of my dear friend Emma. Right now, all the money is being donated, but if you want to support me for when I'm working on projects, that is the place to do it. And my uh, weekly webcomic, uh, well, five times weekly webcomic, uh, Patty with two T's, Patty Plague Doc, uh, still coming out on your regularly scheduled basis. Uh, stay tuned to uh, this very feed, uh, where soon there will be a bonus episode about 
uh, the filmed version of Hamilton. Soon there will be a filmed version, uh, a, a, a bonus episode about uh, the old miniseries Dinotopia. Uh, so stay tuned to that. Uh, y'all have been great listeners and have broken any fucking listener record I put in front of you. And I want to reward you with extra bonus shit uh, from myself and some of my very dumb friends and companions. As we said, <laughs> we will be back next week with I mean, two of the best episodes of the show. Two Two fucking bangers, man. Two absolute bangers. One of them, Conspiracy Theories, I see as people's favorite episode all the time. So look forward to that. Oh, and I want to do do another uh, social media shout out for good people that you can follow on community uh, social media. Uh, this one is the Lady February, and that is their full uh, tag. Uh, they're just nothing but lovely. They like all the same nerdy shit you do. Uh, so follow that good person because there are too many bad people that want to yell at me about their favorite shit, and I want to spread the good people and and make sure that people know about the good people. Yeah, the Lady February saw my my I retweeted an old video of Chris Evans getting a girl's number. <laughs> and it's amazing oh it's, and he like y'all if you haven't seen that video put, it's so good if you he, like have geek jogs around it. the car to get back in oh it's so good it's real good so yeah if y'all haven't uh seen that you know i have another chris evans based recommendation for y'all and it is not the scott pilgrim 10 year reunion live read but like you can do that as well uh, I am referring to the episode of the podcast anna ferris is unqualified uh, it's a two-part episode Featuring Anna Ferris, her then-husband Chris Pratt, and uh, guests Chris Evans and Jenny Slate, who met for the first time that day. And from listening to that episode, I can guarantee you they fucked that night. I have never heard two people trying to fuck each other harder than Chris Evans and and Jenny Slate. Uh, comedian Jenny Slate and they dated very briefly but if you listen to that episode you will be like am I like listening to foreplay right now (laughs) (laughs) so I don't know if you're feeling horny in quarantine I say go for it thanks for typing it into my search now Anna Ferris is unqualified anyway uh, we'll be back next week with all that good shit (laughs) but until then oh and stay tuned for my interview with Alex from Six Seasons and a Podcast a truly lovely man who apparently I have uh, almost identical television taste with which is good (laughs) Uh, but until then pop 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 you're not miraculous son of a bitch not miraculous I'll bet I'll bet I've been wading through a lot of very interesting community opinions today, but there is almost no show that I've seen worse opinions on than the television show Lost. Uh, That show has really been tried guilty in the court of public opinion, and I don't think it's necessarily justified. No, it's not. It's it's one of those first really major shows that, you know, it's offensive maybe to, like, 
40 years of TV before it, but, you know, at the same time... It's a landmark piece of TV. I think, you know, there had been other serialized shows like Twin Peaks, and and it had predecessors. You know, I think The Sopranos debuts before uh, Lost. I think The Wire debut. You know, there are are other progenitors, but a, a show of this scale, the sheer number of cast members opening on that, like, incredible plane crash... Um, the when, sheer... when they when they launched the show, I mean, they, they, I'm pretty sure they launched a show right after the Super Bowl. I think that's when they posted one what of the episodes. Opener. Yeah. What yeah. a what a lead in. Yeah. Um, for that incredible pilot of Lost, one of the finest ever um, committed to the form, and there was such a and this is like the internet had obviously been around for a little bit, but I feel like real fervent fandom on the internet was like just becoming possible. So there were like all of these, you know, this was the time where they could, there were, there were Star Trek fan sites, there were Buffy fan sites, but this was, Oh, we can watch this entire show and discuss it together with other people that are just as weird and obsessed about this show um, as we are. And there is abs. There is no Game of Thrones without Lost, like a show proving that you can do these sprawling mythology-heavy shows. Um, there is no Game of Thrones without Lost. There's no Walking Dead without Lost. Like it's all, uh, and but there is no Lost without you know Twin Peaks and Alias and all these predecessors yeah. that it have. It is it is part of the chain, but it's a unbelievably crucial part of the chain. And Lost is, it wasn't just a TV show. It was, there was so much content that they put out online to augment the, the experience and, you know, kind of draw people in. And so, yeah, it, it I think that's what makes it unique. It was, there had, there was so much mythos and, and um, mysteriousness about the, uh, uh, the, the island and, and everything around it that they would just create this you know, these uh, different levels of, of content and, and that kind of thing. So it really became this like whodunit wh- wh- where are we going with this thing and so. It was this nascency of like there were whole websites, official websites yeah. you could go to on Lost that were like you just read documents from like the Dharma Initiative or, or Charles <laughs> Widmore's operation. There were there was there were video games. There were you know, we were in the period of Mobisodes. So there were like online shorts tying yep. into the episodes. Um, this is like the heyday of of networks doing that. I remember during the height of Heroes, there was like a text number that you could sign up for and it would just send you trivia like while you're watching the episode live on NBC just this wild shit well nothing more mysterious um i think the biggest question i have um about that tv show why saeed would put his knives face up in the dishwasher in i don't know if the season 5 or season 6 i every time i do the dishes when I'm putting stuff in the dishwasher, I'm like, knives so face down, knives face down. But Saeed, there's, you know, I'm just descri- being facetious. There's, there's the scene where he is, he's now an assassin, right? He becomes yeah, an assassin. Yeah, he's working. I guess spoilers for an episode of TV oh, that Jesus. aired like ten fucking years yeah. ago. Get um, over. 
get over it. It's a minor spoiler in like season five. You will, yeah. if you start watching Lost now, you'll forget it by the time you get to this. Um, but yeah, he's working for Ben as an assassin. Um, and he. And there's an assassin after him who right. comes into and, his, his, like, you know, shitty apartment and they fight. And the way he kills the assassin is because he puts his knives up in the dishwasher. And anyway. just like drops a dude yeah. onto it. <laughs> a pretty cool way to kill a guy. I gotta sure. say, I had not seen that one before. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is, yeah, that's the great mystery. Unless he knew, unless that's like, you know, Saeed plans his life around the potential of assassins showing up right. at unspecified times. Yeah. So you need to have a bug out plan. You need to be able to like reach into the cookie jar and pull out a gun. You know, that's just something yeah. you might need to be able to do. Well, that uh, means... So he's got plans. <laughs> but that predicates the, the, the question of, of, like, he needs to have dirty knives on hand then. So he's, like, doing his... He's making PB&J, not with a butter knife like a normal person. He's making it with, with the, you know, sharp serrated knives. Butcher's knife. Yeah. <laughs> a freshly sharpened uh, uh, exacto knife. Yeah. yeah. Anyway... <laughs> So, I think it checks out. I yeah. I I love it. Um, I think about it every time I do dishes. Every, <laughs> every single time. time. I just, you like guard yourself over the dishwasher. You're like, this yeah. Is it. This is how I go. Yeah. I don't. You know, I just. It may. It, I think about it and wonder, like, what? How the heck did he know that? Like, what Jaws was with the ocean and sharks was Saeed's dishwasher to you <laughs> and doing your own dishes. Right. Uh, I love that. This is, of course, uh, the interview portion of Advanced Community Studies, uh, and I am joined by uh, now a officially a frequent uh, collaborator of mine. Uh, and if you're listening to this show, there's a pretty solid chance you've already heard his. Uh, this is, of course, Alex from Six Seasons and a podcast. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yes, uh, you. The last time we uh, we spoke was, of course, on our episode of your show. Yeah, um, so it's coming out this week, which now just messes up the timeline of when you're going to post this. And this anyway. will be for when you're hearing this, listener. It was last week, but uh, yeah, go check over uh, to that feed. And we are nicely like the the beautiful thing about like my and my group's episodes, kind of like being delayed a little bit is that we have this incredible lead in of like Joel McHale, Danny Booty, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Jim, like with all of these people leading up to us, it's just like the perfect, uh, it's like the guy that went on the Ed Sullivan show after the Beatles. It's like, <laughs> they had to, they got to follow that. But no, I'm, I'm thrilled to have you on when we were talking, you mentioned, uh, that our episode this week is one of your favorites. Uh, yeah. one of many people's favorites, an incredible episode. Um, and so I thought I'd have you on to talk about it. Yeah, thanks. I'm really excited about it. Let's do it. Let's do it. So uh, the inaugural question for you, um, I, I'm sure you've talked about this on other shows before, but I'm curious, what is your community journey? When did you start the show? How long have you been with it? Uh, I'm curious. Yeah, um, this will be great because I've, I've potted with a couple other uh, friends of our uh, community, you know, many community podcasters, and uh, I'd really be curious if if I tell the same story, or, or either that, or I've just crafted some elaborate lie. Uh, no, I, 
Um, no, I've uh, definitely will stick with the, with that. I was an original watcher. I I watched the the show um, throughout the uh, the earliest. Uh, you know, I think I watched the the pilot online or on when it aired and, and a bunch of the early stuff. I think once um, I got to figure out when you know if there's any way to figure this out, but I'm pretty sure one of the streaming platforms. I think it was either doing it through NBC or um, Hulu might have had uh, early early episodes i forget this was the nascency of hulu when when community is debuting in like oh nine and hulu was still it was all free at that point and it was exclusively a collaboration between nbc fox and abc it was their like streaming yeah. network um, and all the ads were like uh, Will Arnett and Alec Baldwin, like people that those networks had in house selling you Hulu. And for the first season, I'm not as sure. I think they had like maybe the five most recent episodes at any given time. Yeah. Um, and then they would do this thing between seasons where they would have a rotating list of five episodes that were available. That's, so like, that's nice. Yeah. Very convenient. Yeah, there was a I remember like spending weeks like waiting for the conspiracy theories episode to come back yeah. up because I had missed that one. So it was like I was waiting for my spot on the Ferris wheel to come back around. I know that I was keeping up with it early on. Um, I mean, I wasn't really a social media guy. Uh, I think if you look back at my timeline on Facebook, I would I was annoying to everyone um, on Facebook and said, hey, you should watch the show. And, and so I have a lot of friends who were like not surprised that I started the podcast and, and we're like, Oh yeah, you love, you lo- really like that show. Um, and, uh, you know, but I, I'm pretty sure I was not, a, I, I definitely was not a like watch this Thursday night on TV. So I know that I give myself me- uh, negative points for like being part of the problem <laughs> for, <laughs> for not giving the, the, uh, the show, the watchers that it needed. Um, you know, so, uh, that that's my early, community story um but as far as then kind of going through i did watch it on yahoo um every week or however they dropped it i was again really on top of it with that but for me i was i wasn't like as huge of a community fan as i am now i i I don't know how to describe it like it's not like community was all i thought about and you know and Uh like tweeted about it and started a podcast i i wasn't i just it literally was this last year when i was like oh i really like this show i've always wanted to do a podcast um no one else is really doing this and it's the 10 year anniversary i should just start one and it was really helpful in a therapeutic uh, time for me of needing to get back into you know a creative uh, get my creative juices going and and find a place to to do that and and it just i was like all right i'll just do this and uh, yeah so that's um you know I started the podcast and, you know, hop, skip and a jump from there. We're we're getting some cool people on the podcast, which is great. Absolutely. Yeah, you've you're 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 pulling in those big names. And I think um, it is uh, it is exceptional. Now, you and I both being day one watchers, it doesn't mean we're better than anyone else. It doesn't mean uh, no, we've qualified that I'm worse. Fans. I'm, I'm worse. Right, exactly. Because I, <laughs> I didn't help. Yeah, that's yeah. I, I'm, yeah, you've I'm set it all up. I mean, like we all, we all tried to get people to watch community live but like who the hell <laughs> like 
<laughs> was consistently because no one was ever watching live TV consistently. Like it used to lost. be, uh, except for lost where that yeah. was like appointment fucking viewing. Yeah. But say you are another favorite show of mine, say you're scrubs, right? The expectation of a scrubs viewer was not that they would watch every single episode of scrubs. The dedicated ones would, but most people are not always available the same time every single week. Um, and so the like the expectation was like at most someone would watch like eight episodes from the entire season. That was like your really good viewer would yeah. be someone that watched only a third of the episodes that you put out in a given season. Um, and so religious community viewers, you know, we tried uh, we we tried to proselytize to those of folks that were still watching live tv in 2012 but yeah. it never it never panned out it was a fruitless endeavor it was never going yeah. to work out there was nothing we could have done well there's also this time period where there's the proliferation of of like being able to download from pirating of tv uh tv shows which like yeah. i don't think anyone does anymore like because there's so, so many ways to watch it so like there's yeah. that time period between with the death of uh, of network television and the advent of streaming, th there's that middle um, middle time period where, like, yeah, uh, you said Scrubs. Like, I'm sorry, but I also might have known someone who <laughs> downloaded videos of the episodes so they could watch them. Um, yeah. But that's because. But that's because like there was no medium to to really catch up with it and and to do that. Now, guys, I stream the hell out of Scrubs and stream the hell out of, of Community, so they're getting your paychecks. So uh, that's right, getting those, getting them little residuals back <laughs> yes. in. Yeah, uh, from our from our plays on Hulu. Yeah. yeah, it was. I mean, the the idea that people were were sitting down every week and watching something was kind of strange and archaic with the exception being a a lost or recently uh we experienced it with like a a game of thrones um but you couldn't structure your show around people having seen previous episodes because there was no way to yeah like if you missed a cheers or a mash i don't know you better hope they play it again over the summer when they're looking yeah. for programming exactly. like you just, you just didn't see it um, and that was just the crazy way there was, there was no, I want to start this show from the beginning because if scrubs was in season three, I don't know how the hell you would find season one of scrubs, yeah. uh, yeah. on eight VHS tapes, uh, <laughs> that you could buy from the, from the local Walmart. I don't know. Um, but, uh, TV, TV has changed so much. Yeah. Yep. It comes up a lot on this show. Cause it's something that I think way too much about. <laughs> no, that's there. Yeah, I agree. So I will ask you this and then we will segue into our episode for the week. What are your big community episodes? Obviously besides this one. Uh, and what are your big community characters who kept you coming back? The biggest episode, um, I have to say, is uh, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. It's the most personal one to me. Um, it's uh, had some uh, drama, as we've talked about, uh, surrounding it, and um, I understand that. Uh, when we move past that scene and that issue, um, we move into a, a very deeply meaningful episode about mental health, um, awareness of um, warning signs of 
of suicide and and depression and uh, I don't know if I've ever watched and I've watched a lot of TV um not every TV show ever but I've watched a lot of TV and I don't think I've seen an episode of TV that has been so meaningful moving um but also hilarious I mean at, at the same time it just it goes uh all the way it's in every direction um and uh, so to me, that's my favorite episode of Community. Uh, but I would throw in, um, I just watched the Ash Crack Bandit episode. I just watched um, Great um, Cooperative uh, uh, Calligraphy um, and uh, this episode. So, yeah, those are kind of top five. Those uh, are. Although, although that's only four that I eh, listed. Counts. There's only four on Mount Rushmore. So. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, excellent, excellent taste. Those are yep. uh, unbelievable episodes. And then obviously we love all the community characters, but is there anyone that like stands out to you as like your, your folks? Uh, yeah. You know, so because of D and D Charlie Koontz, um, AKA Neil, I uh, love that character. Um, you know, when I've watched the show, I've always kind of gravitated to someone new each season uh, each not season, but each rewatch, you know, Jeff obviously was the first time around. I was like, oh, I love Jeff. You know, I want to be like Jeff. Um, <laughs> then I kind of went around to Annie and I was like, oh, Annie's great. And, you know, but I've more gravitated towards um, Shirley and Britta over the last couple of years. Um, specifically, uh, probably the most Britta, just because I, I can I just uh, resonate with the like wants to try, but is slightly giving up on life. You know, um, just the jaded, uh, like persona. I, I, I really, that lands with me well as, as a 40 year old man now. So <laughs> it, it lands pretty hard. I was, I was talking a little bit about this, uh, on Twitter recently, and I'm sure it will come up on the podcast 400 more times, but for better or worse, Britta Perry is kind of the character of our times in in yeah. in in good ways and bad. In good ways that like Britta was right about a lot of yeah. things. Britta was right about the police. Britta was right about like our rights and surveillance. Britta was also very wrong about race many <laughs> times. You know, uh, yeah. she feels so strangely indicative of the modern age i love britta i we must protect our suite now you could argue different ways about this but i think she is the most developed of the by the end she feels like the the deepest most like self-contradictory character of the whole bunch as bizarre as she is she feels like the most human to me in a lot of ways uh, she represents like this progress of like, yes, in your 20s, in, in late 20s and maybe even early 30s, you feel like, you know, injustice of the world, like let's fight and rage against the machine. But like as she moves towards her 30s or late 30s, yeah, she's wait, she's probably mid 30s and in, in, by season six. Um, I think, I think, she was, I think like, they clock her around like 35 or something yeah. like that by the end of the show. Yeah, I mean, and she's probably advanced for her age, you know, in in, mm-hmm. in the uh, jaded persona. Um, yeah, she started. So, early. Yeah, she's she started there early. So I mean, I, I she just reminds me of like of me and yeah. But I I think that's it's interesting to hear like a lot of people like criticize her as saying you know because Jeff there's a line where Jeff says you know you're a lot smarter when I first met you or you seemed a lot smarter when I first met you, and it's like I don't. 
I think she just doesn't give a fuck anymore. And yeah, like, she's let her walls down with these people. Yeah. She doesn't need to present like she knows everything. Yes. It, um, our, our podcast pal, uh, Jillian from the Greendale, uh, uh, welcome to Greendale. Sorry. There are a lot of uh, community podcasts summarized it really well as, and specifically in relating to her that like, she also feels like she gives off this very jaded leather jacket persona. But when you like get to know her, she's like a goofball and a mess like everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it feels very honest to me. Yeah. 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 And you know, she doesn't care about, you know, Radiohead finding out about what she does, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you'd be surprised what gets back to those guys. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, cooperative calligraphy, um, a hell of an episode, a bottle yeah. episode. I hate to to put the question as vaguely as I'm about to, but what about this episode really uh, resonates you? Why is this on your Mount Rushmore? Yeah, I think it represents um, a kind of typography of community episode, which is, is firmly established in the first um, in the pilot, and and it's, I just kind of think of it as a around the uh, table episode and um you know that's to me when community is they, they do really the genre really great and so I, I told yeah i told you the, you know the Ascrack bandit episode is really great and the pillow blanket forge episode is really great so when they do that when they're not around the the uh, the table they're um they do really well as well you know so it's it's not all contingent on that but um, there are a handful of episodes like cooperative polygraphy, cooperative calligraphy, uh, the pilot, when they're just sitting around the table and it's just bounce, 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 bounce. There's just dialogue, dialogue, dialogue. Um, and I just find that to be uh, in really intriguing from a, you know, from a writing standpoint. You know, I've dabbled in trying to write dialogue. I've dabbled in trying to, like, understand the craft no one should be worried about me taking over the world and writing anything. Um, but you know, from, uh, a standpoint of just kind of understanding what I'm talking about when I interview people, uh, I just, you know, and, and just kind of another layer of, of, um, creativity. Uh, I've just found it interesting. So uh, when you take a look at these episodes, uh, this episode in particular, um, I think Megan Gans does a, a fabulous job of um, just crafting this, you know, bouncing this dialogue off each other. And um, yeah, so that's, that's what sticks off the top of my head. Megan Gans, one of the best in the dang biz. Um, and they're, You spoke to it a little bit. There just is something that feels more difficult about writing an episode where they essentially do not leave this one room and are gathered in this one space for the entire duration that feels more difficult than like writing a paintball war. And I love paintball. I love Lava World. Um, But there's something that is so difficult about confining everyone to one space it's like playwriting it's like how can i set the entirety of this play in one living room yeah and that's that's why i bring up cooperative cooperative polygraphy because it's like they're all sitting around this one table 
and um, it's just uh, arguments and um, and the, just these two. You know, I think there's a third. I think this is a trilogy. I and I cooperative calligraphy, cooperative polygraphy or polygraph. I'm not actually sure how that word is pronounced, but the lie detector episode. Yep. Um, which and is then, another masterclass in exactly yep. this. I maybe prefer that one, but like only slightly. It's like choosing between two near perfect objects. Yeah, I think the payoff with the uh, cylinders of semen has uh, a higher joke moment than anything in um, co- uh, cooperative uh, calligraphy. Um, but uh, still, yeah. one of the funniest things I've ever seen. And then. Yeah. I think technically basic email security would be like the the end of this trilogy because it's all these episodes are always about like secrets being revealed about like yeah. how the group treats each other. So that one feels perhaps like a natural third to all of this, but it's not yeah. it's not as clean as paintball or or any of their other like trilogies. The yeah. documentary trilogy. Yeah. Yeah, there's because the documentary trilogy, but I feel like there's one. Yeah, it may be the um, um, absolutely. I think uh, Abed puts a hat on it in the email security episode and says, like, I like to think of this as a thematic trilogy, but it would either be that or basic crisis room decorum. It's one of the two that they um, refer to as like the the end of this trilogy. Yeah, in my um, community knowledge is running short on this one, but. I think this is maybe an episode even more so than paintball that the show cannot come back from having done this episode that like something this formally dynamic and inventive this like committed to the study group is also a toxic relationship. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't think this is something that the show could ever circle back around to being what it was say in the first half of season one yeah yeah you have um i mean how does the episode start off you know basically they're in the the um the study room and annie loses her pen and then loses her shit (laughs) right yeah and um you kind of have them each kind of reacting to her yeah I, i mean i think you you see that that veneer that they have which is like Okay, this is how we'll handle things, but like that's that's such a sh- uh, a fine layer that once um once they're really pushed, you see these you know what's really underneath, and I think that's what you have like with cooperative polygraphy is the same thing where it's like they have this nice shine, they're walking in very paralleled episodes where they're like let's respect the dead, and this is like okay, well, let's respect Annie and her pen. But then once the, they are, are, you know, asked to do something um, against their will, uh, whether it's a strip search or whether it's a, a lie detector test, you know, the what really makes them toxic, what really makes them not great people, you know, I guess yeah. um, it, that's what really comes out. It's interesting. This will continue to be heightened as episodes like this resurface where like remedial chaos theory kind of suggests that what's holding the study group back is jeff even though like he formed it he is also like the anchor that is is pulling them down 
and Abed will like put tracking chips in everyone later. <laughs> uh, so like, you know, him tra- accidentally tracking everyone's menstrual cycle seems big in this episode, yeah. but is peanuts compared to like kind of where we're going with these people compared yeah. to Garrett's wedding. <laughs> compared to uh, putting a little something, something in, in, in your tea or, or whatever. And uh, accidentally, exactly. you know, um, getting everyone A's on top of everything that they smuggle into this episode. We have like a slight advancement of the Shirley pregnancy storyline. You go we girl. Have, you, you, <laughs> you know, girl, you, that's what it is. You know, girl, <laughs> uh, incredible joke. We have one of the first sets of seeds of the Jeff and Britta secret sex relationship. Like there are on top of everything that they try to cram into this episode, they still find ways to, cram those in too it's crazy it was uh megan was saying that she thought the the, the writers you know uh Gwenifer was code for uh for her as uh you know jeff is calling Gwenifer. um that was code for britta cool uh, trivia wow. oh I you didn't know that i thought about that i thought that's what you were referring to oh yeah so the writers i think assumed that Gwenifer was actually Britta and he's just talking like he's talking in the phone. He's talking to no one. But he's talking to no one and is actually just talking to Britta. Like, yeah, fine. Oh my God. I um I was referring to her referencing Jeff's uh stripy Beetlejuice numbers. Oh, yeah. She says he usually wears. Wow. So two times wow. I guess Gwenifer is kind of a preposterous name. Uh, I'm not, not here to call out anyone's name, any Gwenifers who might be listening, but mm. isn't Kendra? Isn't Kendra from like season one or two? Kendra with a Q U. Yeah, yeah. We're still we're still a few episodes out from Kendra with a Q U. That was one of my hottest takes today. Is I think she is very very funny. She's only in like three scenes basically, but she gets a laugh in every single one of them. Uh, we have nothing but respect for Kendra with a QU. Gwenifer, on the other hand, no. Just Gwenifer, kidding. nothing but disrespect. I I hold no quarter with Gwenifers. Uh, excellent. Well, thank you. Uh, any any other? I know this is an incredibly vague question, uh, but any other like uh, community thoughts thoughts about this episode that you simply must excise from yourself? Um, well, what you're learning, uh, with dear listener, is that I'm not very good at being interviewed. And so... <laughs> the tables uh, have turned. So well, that's why I like asking questions and being on the other side. Um, and I, one might say I'm not very good at that either, but no. Um, <laughs> well, you have the power of editing. You can make yeah. it invisible. I don't say I edit a lot, but uh, I edit uh, enough so that my ums and I, I don't sound dumb. But uh, as far as community for this episode, I think that what you have is a moment where Jeff is deferential to Troy in letting him just like t- take over. I like that. As well, have, will have said in our um, previous episode, if you listen to mine first sequentially i'm not a huge troy and abed person but um jace has given me some help on that and i think i i've appreciated that perspective and given me a little bit more of insight on on male relationships and bonding and i think it's particularly like they're just jealous like that was really good like (laughs) But I really like the Troy's trajectory throughout the show 
where he's on this, you know, I'll, I'll point it out again. Like if you look at um, cooperative polygraphy, that's like Troy's moment of becoming a man and like knowing he's supposed to go do that. And so there is elements of like that in this episode where it's like Troy gets to do the winger speech through, you know, his, his story. Well, it's, you know, it's, childish in ways it's still like he's the center of attention so i like that there's a really good non-jeff focal point i just watched we're all over the place i know we're talking about one episode but um you had posted about the the messianic myths episode Mm -hmm. and and i went back and watched it and was like oh no i really do like this and it's the i think it's the maturity of my of my perspective over time that i'm like Oh, I really like what Shirley had to do in this episode for Abed. And I think it's it's a similar moment of like the story, the point of the story, the the culmination of the story is that someone is doing something nice and someone else gets to be the center of attention um, than, yeah. than Jeff. It's very nice. I Our opinions should change over time. You yeah. know, <laughs> like there are some things that will never change, but it's good to like as you as your age changes, as your position in society changes. I know that it changes a lot when you have kids like the way we look at media can be completely different than uh, when we were in a previous stage of our life. Um, these these things change. And that's that's yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah, I think our perspective on art should change and, and does change because of our age. Yeah, exactly what you're saying. You know, uh, looking at Starry Night will have a totally different meaning. You know, I know it's, that's just throwing no, it out. No, for, sure, to- for sure. Totally random. But like as a kid, I'm looking at it and going, oh, this reminds me of my room, like, and and like something, you know, maybe out of a, a story, a fairy tale. But as you grow and, and appreciate something over time, you know, it, it does change. So the only thing that doesn't change is my opinion of Unsolved Mysteries, which is now on Netflix, which scared the hell out of me when I was I just tweeted about this. I was like, oh, maybe I'll, I'll watch this Unsolved Mysteries again, it, you know. But when I was, you know, in the 80s, when I was a, an impressionable young person that we would stay up at night and every once in a while it'd be on and we'd watch it and it would. It would fuck up my shit. Too scary. Too it is. scary. As a 10-year-old, that no that music. Anyway, right. if you were raised in the 90s, it won't mean anything to you. But if you were raised in the 80s, you'll be like, oh, yeah, that, that music uh, haunted my dreams. So anyway. Absolutely. Uh, only 80s kids will understand. Well, thank you for, for bringing us here. Now is the time uh, where you can... Uh, plug yourself, plug your show, uh, and, and anything else you would like to say. Oh, man. Well, um, thank you for having me. Um, thank you for uh, enduring. <laughs> and um, yeah, so Six Seasons in a Podcast is uh, one of the, the many uh, community podcasts we have going. It's different. Um, I love what you guys do. I love what the other podcasters are doing with their their episodes, their shows. Mine is really turned into. I try to interview people related to the show, um, and every once in a while, when we're, there's a really interesting discussion um, to be had, I'll, I'll have the other podcasters on. But recent guests um, I had on Joel McHale and Danny Pudi. It was a lot of fun. 
fingers crossed, Jim Rash and Gillian Jacobs and Chris McKenna are are up next in the next uh, month or so. And hopefully we'll get them on and, and we'll have some good times with them. You also have guests who are like from different sides of the show. Yep. You know, you've had actors, you've had some of the incredible writers, some of the great directors. You know, there are any angle that you want to look at community from, or you've had plenty of fans as well, like people that sure. run Instagram accounts and stuff. Whatever angle you want to look at this show, uh, there there is something over there at Six Seasons and a Podcast. Yeah, Adam Davidson. I, I should point that one out because that was just this last one. Adam Davidson was the director, an Oscar-winning director. So For his short film. For his short film, um, the lunch date, and he has done so much, so much uh, TV. Um, I could just rattle off. He did a Lost episode. He did Bosch. He did Six Feet Under. Uh, he did Deadwood. So like every uh, Those Friday are night, Friday Night Lights. He's done every show that was you know amazing and and has been. Uh, um, and then he did like five or six episodes of Community. So um, yeah. check check and him some- out great ones like yeah. uh, uh the first christmas episode um with with the bully uh, uh yeah absolutely he did conspiracy theories conspiracy theories yeah. a classic yep. stone cold classics yep. so, <laughs> so that's a really good one uh he's uh, a really interesting guy and and uh you know then i also talked to chris brannon i was just thinking about him i was emailing him about uh coming on again he helped build the sets for six years and what what a cool job! What a cool guy um, to to have come on and and uh, hopefully we're gonna get some of uh, some other guys that were set builders and we're gonna talk about maybe like the top ten sets that they built and that kind of thing. Oh so. yeah, I really want to know like if you could get like the the assistant camera operator or something like I want to know the perspective of people who are on set but not the actors yeah. and guys talking about like oh yeah 16 hour days on yeah. community <laughs> yes uh i think that is a perspective that i would i would very much like to hear yeah that's great This has been a Talk Back Podcast. That was quite a show.